but if people don't trust the process and they're looking at Instagram or what other people are doing, they're not going to get what they're looking for. The coaches want to give me an opportunity. Okay. But if they don't, I'm going to go my, about my business. I'm going to go to the library. I'm going to get my homework done. I'm going to make more friends outside of basketball and continue with my life plan and see what happens on the basketball court. So that's why I went to Northwestern. It'd be a lot harder to be okay with not playing at a place that I chose for the coach, for the basketball team, for the wins. Um, and that was just always my attitude that I was going to be happy no matter the amount of minutes my coach gave me on the floor. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. The voice you just heard comes from a car cruising northward down the highway from Barcelona towards a beautiful town in France. Making the most of every moment as per usual, Abby Wolf made the effort to chat with me about her academic and athletic journeys, then and now. Abby just finished year number two overseas. A youngin' in my eyes. But after talking with her, it's evident she's mature beyond her years, and not only plays professional basketball, but has a vision as to what she wants her life to be like off the court. She's persevered through the ups and downs of college athletics and has tasted defeat and triumph as a pro. From the outdoor courts of New York and the lobster fishing boats of Connecticut, here's 6-4 post, Abby Wolf. Abby Wolf. Um, from Greenwich, Connecticut. What's going on? How, how are you doing? Set the scene for me. Where are you right now? I'm actually driving to the south of France, a place called uh, Saint-Tropez, um, making the most of this free week I have, being crowned regular season champions of the Liga Femenia Challenge. Um, mm-hmm. And a little impromptu trip to France. Um, so fence this past season in Barcelona. Um, and yeah, it's, it's over. So it's kind of sad. <laughs> I know. It's incredible that the season for you guys is, is, you know, has come to an end. But like you said, you guys were the champs. So when you are the champ, you go directly up to the Liga Femenina Andesa, while the rest of the like eight or seven teams have to participate in a playoffs. Abby Wolf from Greenwich, Connecticut. Thank you so much for joining us today on the pod. And uh, what's going on? How's your morning? Set the scene for me. Thanks for having me, Leslie. Um, I am driving to the south of France, um, fresh off of the Liga Feminina Challenge Championship, um, soaking it in. And um, yeah, looking forward to a relaxing couple of days in the middle 
of April, um, sunshine and basketball, no basketball for a week or so. So (laughs) you deserve it. You deserve it. And the pictures that I've seen on Instagram, it looks like you guys have had quite the celebration the last, uh, couple days. I think you guys even, were you, um, what do I want to say? Were you acknowledged at the Barcelona men's game? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we went to the Barcelona, Real Madrid, um, El Clasico, you know, as they call it, incredible atmosphere in um, Palau Bograna. Um, And so our whole team went out the day after we were crowned champions. We had the Copa and, um, you know, got a standing ovation. Just a few weeks prior, we played in Palau Bograna with an almost like incredible crowd. So I guess just the backing and support of the – city and women's sports has been incredible. Yeah. Well, I think about it a lot and Barcelona and Real Madrid, neither of those two teams have a women's team in the top basketball division in Spain and it's about time. So, um, you guys, you guys went directly up because you were the champions of Liga Femenina challenge. You go directly up to Liga Femenina Endesa, which is great. I'm really excited to have a, a Liga Femenina Endesa team in Barcelona. Granted, other years there was uh, San Adria, but Barca specifically has never had a team, correct? Um, I've heard different versions of this story, and I don't really have my facts straight, but okay. there, there was a team in the first division a while ago, and then it kind of got shut down, from what I understand, for okay. various reasons. Um, that, that must have been, like, at least more than – it's been more than a decade, at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that or more. Okay. Um, but now they're invested in women's sports, you know, and I think – we also got to go to the women's football match, the quarterfinal. I forget who they were playing. Sold out, broke a record for the most people ever watching a women's football match. And I'm not sure if it was the whole world or Europe. And we were part of that, you know. And, like, right after, you know, also knowing we clinched the championship. But I was like, wow, our season, winning this and moving up to the first division – champions of the champions league now playing in camp new and like it's about time so yeah big, big moves for fc barcelona and um, women's sports in barcelona so that is so cool and for the people back home that don't know much about european sports i mean barcelona is a huge club and i'm sure their their women's soccer team is probably very good um and the Barcelona matchup against Real Madrid, that must have been a really good game, too. Yeah, it went into overtime. Oh. Um, it was a nail-biter. And um, just, I, I just, like, just couldn't believe it, watching that game, being a part of the club, being on the floor. Like, you know, it's part of something bigger than yourself. Um, yeah. Which is actually our, our motto this year, Ubuntu being you know i am because we are Uh and it's really our team ethos um and i i guess it can be translated to the barca ethos as well like standing on that floor the support just the excitement um of this season so yeah super proud of everything we've accomplished 
Yeah, because, I mean, Barca and Real Madrid, those are both two EuroLeague teams. So that, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal to be able to even go to a game like that. I'm sure people are buying tickets that are just crazy expensive. And then you mentioned Ubuntu. What, uh, what language is that in? So it's the South, it's an African proverb. Um, I know there are a lot of like different African dialects because I studied abroad in South Africa for 10 weeks. Um, so it could be Swahili, but all I know is, you know, it, it means I am because we are a combined notion of unity. Um, so, so the way I understand it is, um, we're all part of something bigger than ourselves and, um, we have to do, I guess, everything we can to ensure that everyone feels respected and appreciated um and so it's really just about a selfless identity on the court and that's what we've done all season our coach was joking with us after we clinched a championship like you know none of you guys are in the leaderboards of any stats (laughs) (laughs) and we're like yeah pretty much like you can't scout our team just because we were so we play so selfless we're all excited for each other and we've won so many close games because of this feeling we have and which is ubuntu i kind of perfectly captured what um we've built and um can have committed to this whole year yeah that's one of those untangible things on a team that it's like you can't a coach can't necessarily teach a team to have that feeling and sometimes there are just special years where it just happens and um I'm really happy for you because in comparison to your experience last year, um, I think this year was probably like, <laughs> I mean, a 10 out of a 10. Pretty much reverse the record. I think <laughs> four, four and 20 to 24 and four. Yeah. I, I, I tried to wipe the that wins and losses from Zamora out of my head, but um, right. we, we won twice against Zamora this year and, when I went back there, um, it was special because, you know, I really do have appreciation for the people. I have a Spanish family, which I know you heard of, heard about from Amy's podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and Zamora has a special place in my heart. But basketball-wise, this was a much better year and team. And yeah. the record shows that. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of sometimes the luck of the draw. You have some seasons are great, some seasons are not so great. Um but obviously this year was really special for your whole team. And uh, I'm just happy that you had another experience to kind of compare your overseas experience with and um, who knows what next year will bring. So, but uh, let, tell me what's your, what do you think is your first sports memory as a little girl? It doesn't have to be basketball. My first memory sports in general. Oh, I have a good, good one for this. So my dad was an Olympian in 1984 LA shot putter and there's this like home video I don't have the memory of this but like you know my parents always show me the video of me just like doing a little spin and throwing a tennis ball and saying me going to Olympics (laughs) (laughs) cool and um obviously that's not my reality but it it's just ingrained in me from an early age like my dad trained in Germany for before he made the Olympic team um just that sport has been such a big part of my upbringing and family like it's really felt natural to be overseas he just visited me a couple weeks ago in Spain so it's 
Um, it's kind of come full circle of my upbringing and this Spanish basketball experience. That's really cool. I, I did read online that he was an Olympian, but I did not know what sport. I figured it was basketball or, you know, football or something like that. I had no idea it was shot put. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of interesting sport. My senior year of high school, I tried shot put and discus and I was okay at it. And they know he coached me, uh-huh. but it's not, there's no Ubuntu in an individual throwing <laughs> sport. It's just right. brute force and yeah. Um, so I have a lot of respect for him. Like, you know, he was the Ivy league record holder for many years. Um, went from kind of like a, a scrub as an underclassman to an Olympian and he plays wow. fourth place. So he just missed the a medal, but my dad's an incredible guy. Yeah. Where did my he go mom, to college? My mom, if she listens to Princeton. Okay. And your mom? If my mom listens to this interview, she would be um, upset if I didn't mention that she runs marathons and is, you know, they're also very athletic, but she didn't play college sports. <laughs> oh my goodness. She currently runs marathons? Uh, back in the day. It's been a while since she ran one, but um, yeah, she's, you know, the rock of the family. Yeah. So you have a lot so. of good, good genes as far as like discipline and self-motivation go. Yeah. I, um, we're the wolf pack. So I have three <laughs> older brothers. Um, we're all athletes, but three out of four college athletes, it's in our blood to just be competitive and, um, love sports. So my other answer would just be like playing in the driveway with you know my brothers growing up uh-huh. um it's just and playing street ball in new york city which i'm excited to do again this summer um basketball has just been my life and like my, my love from such an early age i'm glad that i really found a sport that i enjoyed so much um it was never forced on me at all right so okay you just mentioned street ball and i know for a lot of europeans going to New York city and going to one of those outdoor courts for some people is a highlight on their vacation because they see it in the movies, they see it online. Um, from your house and from your house in Connecticut, where would you frequently go to parks in New York and just play pickup? Yeah, I actually grew up in Westchester, New York. So a little closer to the city. And then in eighth grade, I moved to Connecticut and they're both just like a little, around an hour train ride into the city. Um, And, you know, luckily I met coaches and um, was always invited to these streetball tournaments with that sponsored by Nike, the biggest trophies you've ever seen, the funniest, coolest announcers. And, you know, most of the time I was like the only white girl. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's just like, when I go back, there over the summer and sometimes play in these like professional leagues now and um are not like they have professional like high school um college and then pro divisions um and it's it's just like the fun of the game you know when you can go and not have any plays and just talk about little trash and go up and down the court and just like the announcers hyping you up like there's no feeling like it um so I I really feel that's where I my happy place with the game is like New York Uptown Challenge which is a place in Harlem but the West 4th Street courts are probably the most unique and interesting 
like right um really downtown and they call it the cage okay yep and um i've also played like hoops in the sun and then there was one tournament um when i was a junior in high school that was like right outside the barclay center where the nets play and um, like Kevin Durant was there and I was actually playing with overseas pros as a high schooler. And mm-hmm. that was like one of the coolest moments in my basketball career. Like I was just like, wow. Yeah. I'm playing like right outside the nets and Kevin Durant is here. And, like these are pros and I'm, I'm like this skinny little six, four, like high schooler before I you know started lifting seriously. And I was just so in awe and like excited about my future at that point, right after I committed to Northwestern. That's so fun. I mean, for a lot of people, that experience is just out of a movie, you know, like, yeah, that's kind of my idea of New York and street basketball. I'm sure there were probably a lot of people watching too and cheering, cheering you guys on and, you know, just yelling from the sidelines. (laughs) It was like a all-star game. So one tournament was, street was playing the uptown challenge and so jim couch like oh i got this you know <laughs> so just brought me on his team out of the goodness of his heart and like i, I still keep in touch with um mr couch um yeah so it's it's gonna be fun going back there this summer because i'm gonna be working in new york and like living in the city mm-hmm. um around it all the time so okay well, we'll get into yeah. we'll get into your work and your academic background, but um, tell me when did you start taking basketball a little bit more seriously, or do you think you had a moment where you realized that basketball could you know change your future or um, provide you with opportunities that you might not have otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. It was probably sophomore year of high school. Um, I mean, I always knew I was a good player. And just had a love for it and would go to the YMCA and play with boys every day and like made the varsity team in eighth grade in my private school. But I didn't really realize like I could definitely, you know, play college high level college basketball until I was a certain AAU team because my dad actually made me do rowing my freshman year of high school instead of volleyball because he knew I could get a scholarship rowing <laughs> title nine like my body frame and just his knowledge of sport. He's like, Abby, this is, you know, going to be your backup plan. (laughs) So I did that freshman year of high school. I was really good at it, but kind of miserable sport. Um, And then that's a really tough sport. I remember watching the rowers on the Mississippi river at the university of Minnesota and the calluses on their hands and the cold air down there in the morning on the river. Woo. Yeah. We had like a 20 minute test on that machine, the ERG, and that's the most tired I've ever been in my life. Like sure. even the Versa in college didn't reach that level of exhaustion. Wow. Um, so you, anyway. You said, so, dad, <laughs> dad, I, I want to continue with basketball. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And that I had a good, you know, freshman year of high school. And then um, when it was time to pick an AAU team, um, I wanted to go back with my hometown club because they're my best friends, you know? Yep. But my high school coach and dad were like, uh, you know, it's kind of time to start thinking about the next step and you need to expand your horizons and see if you really have what it takes. So CBC, Connecticut Basketball Club, and my um, coach, Scotty Nails, 
Um, most incredible guy down to earth, really just wants the best for everybody on his team. This time, you know, good AU coach without an ego, which you don't get a lot. Um, yep. Put me in a fall tournament, like a fall showcase and two offers as a, like a freshman or sophomore. And this was probably sophomore fall. By the end of that spring season, sophomore year, I probably had like 40 or 50 offers. Oh my. And it was really like, I, I didn't know. I actually loved the recruiting process, handling all the calls myself. My parents weren't really involved unless I asked the coach or it was a home visit. Um, and I decided to do my visits, my, my five official visits. I only took four actually the, um, spring of my junior year. Cause I knew if I played again, junior spring and summer, I was going to have more offers. It was going to get more overwhelming. And I already knew what I wanted and the coaches that I had the best relationship with. Okay. So I went and took my visits to Northwestern, Princeton, Vanderbilt and Boston college. And like, I just fell in love with Northwestern when I was standing on the Lake Phil, you know, you know, if you're a Minnesota girl, you have probably visited and seen Northwestern's campus and it just felt like the right decision. And, um, yeah. yeah. When you were making your decision, what do you think were the important factors that kind of factored in were you thinking about obviously you weren't really thinking about distance because I saw on Google Maps that Northwestern is about a 14 hour drive from Connecticut yeah I actually wanted to get out of the Northeast um I love New York and Boston when I visited Boston College it felt a little too similar to Connecticut with the type of people there and I I wasn't getting recruited by um California schools that much, but I probably would, I would be open to going all the way to the West coast as well. Um, I said, Oh, Chicago is, you know, a city because for me it was 40 minutes outside of Chicago. So I wasn't going to be living in a city as a college student, but I had that small town, um, college vibe. Um, and NU for life really sold it to me, which is the career development for student athletes. Um, they have, you know, I went at a meeting when I was being recruited and it made sense. You know, a lot of schools tell you four for 40, you know, our alumni network, but what are they actually doing to prepare you for after basketball? And Northwestern has two full-time staff to make the connections and help the student athletes think about those decisions. And so when it was formulated to me like that, I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and Northwestern delivered on that promise and many more, um, big 10 champ, 2020 big 10 champs, um, 15 sisters, you know, one of my best friends and Veronica Burton got drafted last night, seventh pick overall WNBA, um, just some incredible human beings. I was around there. Very cool. I think honestly, I want to say that Northwestern has really, um, come into their own over the last probably decade, because when I was in college, they weren't necessarily a powerhouse, but then, (laughs) but then Nia Coffey, who went to high school with me, well, we didn't go to high school together because I'm older, but, uh, she decided to go to Northwestern and 
the university and their basketball program has really just taken off over the past, I don't know, 10 years probably. Yeah, I would say that's right. Like when Mia Coffey committed to Northwestern, um, it was early in Joe McEwen's career there. Um, and Dr. Phillips, our old athletic director, is now the ACC commissioner, really, you know, created an environment to flourish. So Nia came along with incredible class with her, Kristen Inman, um, Ashley Deary. And so uh, we, we were exposed to that, my class when we were freshmen, and saw how talented, how deep we were. We didn't make the NCAA tournament that year for a variety of reasons. We knew how good we could be. In my class, we had a really tough sophomore year. I think we only won six games. Um, no, not we won more than that. We, we won a lot of non-conference games, but bottom of the Big Ten. Junior year, we're building the foundation. Missed the NCAA tournament again, and we made it to the WNIT final against Arizona. Lost to Arizona there. Obviously, Arizona, another incredible program who was in the final four this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my 2020, we won crown regular season champions. Wow. Um, I think we lost one or two games, one to Maryland and one to Iowa. Um, like I said, that team is, I would say, very similar to the selflessness and energy of this Barca team this year. Like, we didn't have the motto Ubuntu, but we could have because we just loved playing with each other. You know, we would have been in like a four seed or three seed at the play tournament, had two home games, but COVID happened and we didn't, we, there was no March Madness, so. Oh, no. I, I forget yeah. that you're I forget that you're so young and that you lived that during your college years. Um, well, I feel uh, bad for the people behind me because I missed one quarter and uh, NCAA tournament would have been cool. But I feel you know hearing about the college experience last year, the bubbles and everything. I actually feel like I got lucky uh, yeah. having graduated that year, not the year after. So. Wow. Well, so, I mean, obviously Northwestern's basketball program has really taken off, but on top of that, it's a fabulous school itself. I mean, academically, it's, it's top. Top 10, maybe. We're proud of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that factored into your decision as well. I mean, your dad was an Ivy League um, athlete, and for you to go to Northwestern, um, academics obviously is very important to you. Yeah, I um, I've always been a bit of a nerd, a curious person. I ended up being a journalism major at Northwestern. Um, you know, they have a top journalism school in the country, us in Columbia. Um, so I, I just have always had the attitude. I want to make myself the, as multidimensional um, or as put myself in environments to be challenged. And, um, you know, I had an offer from South Carolina and it was hard for me when I was at Northwestern struggling, like what they just won the national championship, but I'm here sitting on the bench studying in the library. But (laughs) I went through that. I went through the process and, um, I know I'm better for it. Like, um, I can't say enough good things about the culture of Northwestern athletics and how valued I was as a human being and student and supported as a student athlete, not an athlete student. Mm-hmm. Um, they just built incredible athletics facility that I didn't experience until my junior and senior year. We were playing in a high school gym 
for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, you, you remember the old Bell Shrine. You should see the new Bell Shrine. Yeah, I have no um, idea what it looks like, but I can only imagine it's probably a, an actual stadium then. Yeah, and there's a, a field house on Lake Michigan that just looks like, I don't know, it's one of the most beautiful facilities, even for college football standards in the country. Because hmm. you're in this glass complex, over, like literally feel like you're standing on the lake. Cool. And those are like the material things. That's not why I went to Northwestern. Like I was saying, it was, it was NU for life. It was the connection with my teammates when they're joking around about their classes and just like knowing I was joining a group of incredible women that I would stay friends with, we would continue to grow together after basketball. That's what I wanted to be a part of because you can have an ACL injury. That's my attitude about it the next day. And would I still be happy somewhere where if basketball wasn't going well, that's the place I wanted to be. Right. Well, I'm really glad you're touching on all this because I am a strong believer that, yes, your college experience is more than just basketball. Obviously, basketball contributes a lot to your, to your happiness and, um, you know, your life is pretty much dedicated to basketball those four years. But there are so many other things that can make you happy when basketball isn't going well. And I'm just curious to hear what you have to say about the transfer portal. Because you you kind of mentioned before, you're like, oh, I'm sitting on the bench and I'm here in the library studying, but you decided to stick it out and stay your four years at Northwestern. Um, what do you think about this transfer portal? Because there are so many players that are transferring these days. Yeah, it's hard, I guess. I, I feel lucky that I was um, before NIL and the no transfer rule because it'd be harder to commit to my decision. I trusted my gut, something that was going to work out. Um, and it did work out. I was a Big Ten champion and um, my experiences outside of basketball were just as valuable to me. Um, you know, Northwestern is $74,000 a year and I was exposed to CEOs, Katrina Adams, who is still my mentor, who's the former president of the USTA and a former Northwestern tennis player. And like these things are maybe it's just my upbringing and attitude that skewed my decision making, but you know, that's what I wanted to be around. And if you really just want to be the best basketball player you can be, then maybe it makes sense to transfer. But the way I was thinking, the way I made my decision back in high school was based on the social life, the academics, the professional development, and the basketball. Those four elements, which may come in conflict with each other. And there are a variety of things and reasons people could transfer, including toxic cultures and coaches who don't support you as a student athlete. So, but if people don't trust the process and they're looking at Instagram or what other people are doing, they're not going to get what they're looking for. Um, I, I feel if you are go to a program where there are transfers in and out and you can go there because four people transferred that year, do you really want to be a part of that team that probably isn't very much of a team if everyone's out for themselves? Um, that's the way I approach it. Um, yeah. I mean, yep. 
in Northwestern, two people who could have transferred and really had no reason to transfer came back for their fifth year. Um, my good friends, Courtney Shaw and Cindy Wood. So I think that just speaks to um, Northwestern Athletics and my team that they wanted to come back. And I don't know if Northwestern's, you know, accepting any transfers this year. You can talk to the recruiting coordinator, but um, it's, you know, a good sign if people aren't leaving. Right. Well, and I think there's something to say just about commitment, uh, loyalty, trusting the process and fighting through the hard times because I, I think we can learn a lot about our college years and it's not all, I don't know, rainbows and lollipops, you know, there are going to be some really tough times during college, but I'm one of those type of people that thinks that if you, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone and just keep working hard, eventually, um, I mean, this doesn't always happen, of course, but it, it might get better, you know, it, it and yeah. the, the mentality that the grass is always greener on the other side, I'm just not so sure about that. And so, I don't know, I've just seen a lot of uh, people transferring schools in college and I just think, wow, it's just a different world now. But um, anyway, moving yeah. on from that. <laughs> so what would you say your adaptation process was like once you got to college as far as on the court and off the court? Because I remember the workouts, the physical conditioning workouts, those were a slap in the face. Yeah, um, it was hard. I mean, I, I always wanted to be challenged, though. So I actually loved lifting. I loved my strength coach's framework and seeing the progress on the sheet at, oh, start of the summer, you know, I was only squatting 120 pounds and now I'm almost doing 150. Like that progression is what I love to see. And um, I didn't have great on court success my first two years um, or really many opportunities. Um, I needed, I wasn't really as fast as the four, three fours, wasn't shooting the ball great. And I wasn't strong enough to really hold my own as a center in the big 10, hmm. like physically, physically powerful enough to post up and things like that. So, um, I didn't play any real minutes until my junior year, but I was trusted the process that I was doing in the weight room every morning at 6 a.m. Um, getting scrimmaging experience against my girl, Palace Kunayapana, who was starting over me and is now, you know, Olympian for Nigeria this mm -hmm. past year, um, along with Amy Okonkwo, you know, my roommate from last year. Yeah, I didn't know at the time that this person was, you know, of course I knew she was really talented. She was dunking. She can dunk the basketball and she made me such a better basketball player going from a finesse kid who can big fish in a little pond in Connecticut. I got away with doing a lot of things in the basketball court to needing to battle in the post against palace um, for two years without getting seen any court time. Like that's when I built my character and mentality that, um, I'm going to trust myself, trust what I'm doing every day in the weight room, what I'm putting out on the practice court. And if the coaches want to give me an opportunity, okay. But if they don't, I'm going to go my, about my business. I'm going to go to the library. I'm going to get my homework done. I'm going to make more friends outside of basketball. 
and continue with my life plan and see what happens on the basketball court. So that's why I went to Northwestern. It'd be a lot harder to be okay with not playing at a place that I chose for the coach, for the basketball team, for the wins. Um, and that was just always my attitude that I was going to be happy no matter the amount of minutes my coach gave me on the floor. Bravo. <laughs> That's, I, I, I love that. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I love that answer. Um, so in the classroom, did you always know that you wanted to be a journalism major? No, no, I was, I wanted to do everything, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I went from, I really loved social sciences in high school. So I wanted to do econ and psychology, but uh, econ classes were actually kind of boring and dry in my opinion. So I turned that into a business minor and then, um, I transferred into the School of Education and Social Policy. I thought I wanted to be an English teacher. Um, and then I took a class, Adulthood and Aging, and I decided the woman I interviewed, I wanted to write her book. And so I tried out the School of Journalism my sophomore fall. And the journalism class wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I really enjoyed reporting and writing and just the unique situations I could find myself in telling stories. Yeah. And I could write about what I wanted to and talk to real people instead of reading things online and writing 20 page papers. I could write, a, you know, a, a two page story that people really wanted to read. So I really fell in love with um, that major. And eventually, for a variety of reasons, like I'm not actively writing, but I still write about things that are important to me and think about try to think, you know, objectively as a journalist should strive to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit about my academic track. And I, I studied abroad in South Africa for 10 weeks. Yeah. Very cool. The global journalism. So that's, you know, thank you, Joe McEwen for letting me go in the quarter system for leaving that WNIT championship game, flying to South Africa the next day. Um, I arrived to the program a week late. And I was doing real estate reporting in a Cape Town office for 10 weeks, which was like, talk about out of your comfort zone, you know? And so that gave me such a different perspective coming back from my senior year um, as well. How interesting is that? Because I studied abroad after my sophomore year in Venezuela, but I did that as a summer session. Um, and I have never met another Division One athlete who has also done a study abroad. And you did it, it wasn't even a summer session. It was like part of your last quarter. Yeah, it was, yeah, the quarter system. So it was from um, April to June. You know, basketball wise, it worked out better because spring workouts, people are recovering, letting their feet and knees heal a little bit, individual workouts. And summer is where, you know, you really put the pedal to the metal and grind as a team. Yeah. So my coach, I had, I was really scared to ask him in the fall if I could do it. Um, I had to apply ahead of time, you know, and take a winter class to prepare me for that experience. I thought he thought I was going to be giving up on the team in basketball, but I really just knew I wanted to keep growing and get out of Northwestern for a little bit and, I'd rather be work. And also other student athletes have gone to New York to do the same thing. So Lauren Douglas 
had worked for Essence Magazine and New York Spring Quarter. So I knew it was possible to leave the team for 10 weeks for my degree. And he said yes. And I got into the program. And um, that experience really changed my life because I don't know if I'd be overseas playing basketball now if I didn't go to South Africa. So um, everything's come full circle, Ubuntu. Um, yeah, and where I learned that word and it came into my team this year, it's really been incredible, um, all my overseas experiences. Yeah. Well, I... I just commend I commend you on making that decision and asking your coach if you could do that because sometimes I think the college athlete, at least me when I was in college, I felt the pressure to be there all the time, to put the team first, which you should. Um, but when it comes to your life outside of basketball and your professional career, doing an internship or doing a study abroad session if you can, I just think it's so valuable and um, I, I'm really, I had no idea you did that. So very cool. I went, I think I only went for six weeks, but you went for 10 and I'm sure that learning experience was more than you could have ever imagined. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I, I could go on and on about um, Cape Town and Ubuntu and the basketball organizations and players I met there and, um, you know, really the impoverished children that I met um, playing the game barefoot um, with no food in their stomach. And so that gave me a different perspective on the game of basketball in general. Yeah. And then the whole professional aspect and writing about real estate was pretty dry, actually, um, and not very fun. Um, mm -hmm. but just the meeting different walks of life in a country and environment completely different than Chicago, Northwestern, New York, Connecticut was eye-opening, um, in many different ways. Yeah. Well, so then you're, I mean, you're pretty well-traveled and you're only what, 24, 25? 24. 24. Yes. Just turned 24 last year. Uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> a lot more places to visit. You know, the more you stay overseas, the more things you start putting on your list. Right. And people but, you come become to know and want to visit their hometown or um, things like that. And I think through sport, it's so easy to and fun to share experiences um, through like this game of basketball, whatever game you play. Exactly. Um, um, so, yeah, it's. I love this experience I've had overseas and don't know where it's going to take me next. So, Right. Yeah, we'll see. But um, real quick, before we move on, when you came to Northwestern, was there any sort of culture shock for you? Um, because in the United States, I feel like we always have that debate about, oh, you know, the East Coast and the Midwest and the West Coast and the Midwest, those are like the flyover states and the West Coast, that's like cool California and the East Coast is, you know, hustle bustle, New York, um, you know, and in the Midwest, it's like, oh, who are these people, you know? So I don't know, did you feel like there was a big uh, adaptation process to the culture or not really? No, not, not really. I mean, my, the three other kids in my class, um, we're all Midwest girls. Um, shout out Brianna, Abby. There's another Abby. We call her Shide. 
and Birdie, um, like my still my best friends. I call them my sisters. Um, I mean, the, I definitely did think differently than them being a New Yorker growing up in a more like I guess aggressive, pressurized environment. They're kind of good Midwest girls go to church mm-hmm. every Sunday with their family, and <laughs> I love that about them. And you know, some their fam- a lot of their families came to every game things like that and um I, th- I wouldn't say it's any culture shock I think I've been a- reflecting on, on the culture shock for the internationals kids a lot um talking to the juniors on my Spanish teams I used to really think about you know playing in America but you know it's hard going to college as an 18 year old American it would be that much harder with the language, the culture shock there. And I mean, I'm always about pushing limits and being uncomfortable so you grow, but it'd be really hard for an international kid. Um, but for me as a New Yorker, no, not at all. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, so for the, yeah. Euro- for the Europeans and you know all over the world, whoever's listening to this podcast, what can you tell them about the student athlete experience at a university in the United States? Because really overseas, they don't have anything like it. And I don't think they're aware of just how cool it is. But for you, what, what would you tell them about being a student athlete and just the spirit of it, the pride, the alumni? Um, how would you describe it? It's you're supported in every way, especially at a place like Northwestern. And there are laws and bodies in place to make sure you are valued as a student athlete. You're not subject to an owner of a club or somebody else in a position of power making decisions. Of course, your coach is gonna make decisions about your playing time or your professor may give you a bad grade or there may be people's in positions of power, but you have you are in a playground of class, parties, practice, and you can do so many things with your time. Actually, you don't have that much time as a student athlete because you're scheduled down to the hour, minute, most of the time. But your day goes from 6 a.m. lift to a full meal provided because there's no time to make your own breakfast to class in the morning, at least this was my schedule, to another class in the afternoon probably, If I have an hour or two between um, class and practice, I would get my butt to the locker room and try to do a little homework before I do the training room and work with an incredible athletic trainer who knew exactly my body's needs and exercises need to get done. Um, And then I would go to practice where I have a manager rebounding for me. And then during practice, a support staff of, you know, including assistant coaches, director of operations, director of player development, and all the managers probably – 12 players on the court, 12 people watching the practice and making everything run smoothly. Okay, and then I finish practice. I go into my cold tub that's available 24-7. I have my post-practice meal, again, buffet provided. Um, so how many people did I touch in that day whose full-time job it was to make my life easy? Because I had so much going on. I needed someone cooking my food, making sure the cold tub was cold, taping my ankles, as a, not to downgrade this professional overseas experience because I'm getting paid to spend money on things like my body and my food. 
but nobody's working to make my life easy anymore. In college, right. you're supported in every way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's Northwestern's experience. I don't know if every college athlete feels like that, but I think at a Power 5 school, you will feel supported if you ask for help in the areas you need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess we could, we could link that into the pros and cons of playing overseas. Um, what would you tell up and coming athletes that are thinking about going overseas, what, what to be aware of, or what type of mentality to have, because your experience is probably going to be very different from your college experience as far as resources and, uh, potentially support. I mean, if, if I'm talking to an American, just wrapping up their college basketball experience and thinking about playing overseas or may already made the decision to play overseas and deciding which agent to sign with I mean it's it's not to put it in a bad way but it's the wild wild west depending on your agent your contacts you don't know what you don't know and sometimes ignorance is bliss mm-hmm. a rookie year in Zamora I was happy you know I mean after we started losing more and more it got you know a little harder to be happy but if you're in a it's easy because I'm such a curious person and I love every day being an adventure. So after, after a tough practice, I'm still going to go for a walk, meet a teammate for a drink, things like that. If you don't have that type of attitude, hopefully you're a really good basketball player and are on a mission to build your career and have good stats and make more money year after year. So you know, I think there are three different, <laughs> I can go on about the different types of overseas players. And a Span, a Spaniard told me, yeah, either you're, there are three types of people. You know, I'm not going to say this because <laughs> Americans look bad. <laughs> well, it is a stereotype and it, it doesn't fit everybody, but there are some players and you don't have to be American. You can be from, you know, yeah. Serbia or whatever other country, but some people are just in it for the money or to pad their stats but then for me, in my opinion, it's like you have a you have an opportunity to live abroad and people in college pay good money for these exchange student opportunities. And here you are doing it for free. Take advantage and learn about the culture. Try to learn the language. Try the food. Travel. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful thing that not many people get the chance to do. Yeah, it's it's a really special opportunity and but the, the, the what i just explained you know feeling fully supported in every way it makes it a lot of american college basketball players feel entitled when they come overseas yeah. and that's what you know the the players the europeans hate about sometimes americans have that attitude that nothing's good enough because obviously the frame of comparison if you go play at a power five school with millions of dollars coming into the athletic department through fo- men's football and basketball and TV contracts. It's not the same. It's in real world in life. You're not sheltered. You don't have title nine and all these laws protecting you. It's, you know, you're on, you're an adult and you're living on your own and it's, it's business now. It's <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it, it takes, so I guess a unique balance of feeling grateful for the opportunity, but understanding, you know, you know, the way things really work and um, how to not view it like business and um, 
try to make strong relationships and bonds and memories overseas. So, yeah. So when you graduated your senior year from Northwestern, did you know that you wanted to play overseas or what was kind of your mentality um, towards the end of your senior year? Agents started contacting me in the middle of the season. So I uh, actually applied to the Peace Corps senior mm-hmm. ball after, you know, going to Cape Town. And I pulled that application after I realized I could play professional basketball because that'd be a much better experience. I mean, they'd both be good experiences, but I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete based on, you know, my dad's experience and just the way I was thinking um, and playing at the time, you know. I had some backup plans in place um, senior fall since I really hadn't had any statistics or real playing experience as a starter. So I, um, but once I started, agents started contacting me, I was averaging about 10 points a game, um, a few double doubles, championship team. Um, I was feeling good. And of course, wanted the opportunity to be a professional basketball player. And um, so that was going to work out for me. No regrets. Uh, signed with Jorge and Pro Dep and two years in Spain. Definitely happy with that decision mm-hmm. um yeah two years in Spain and I mean Barcelona is just a tad bigger of a city than Zamora uh what would you say are maybe like just a couple of your favorite things about Barcelona oh, I thought you were about to ask me about Zamora, <laughs> <laughs> well, Zamora, um, Bar- Zamora Barcelona. Great, they have great cheese in Zamora I understand yeah <laughs> Queso Cel Pastor, you know, that was our main, <laughs> that was our naming rights sponsor. So great cheese and pork there. Yeah. Um, well, I love some great people in Zamora. No, really. Um, but anyway, Barcelona is incredible. And, you know, like you said, they didn't have a team in the first division last year. So when I signed with FC Barcelona and Club Basket Sinfeliu, I didn't um, know what I was walking into at all. And I just knew that Barcelona's going to be such an incredible city to explore it's I'm the only American on my team which has been cool you know my coach is my head coach doesn't speak English so I really felt like I was thrown into Spanish culture this real cat culture which is different you know, than just Spain Spanish culture in general did you always know you wanted to play overseas because for me personally I didn't know that it was an option until my senior year of college but in your case, is it something you always kind of had in the back of your mind? It definitely was um, always in the back of my mind, um, but it didn't really become a real option or reality for me, similar to you my senior year of college, um, when I really had the stats to back it up and get have agents contacting me. Um, but I mean, my dad played trained in Germany for the Olympics and he just always spoke about the overseas life training it was such a special time for him and um I always just want to be the best at everything I do so if I had the opportunity to go from an um collegiate student athlete to a professional athlete I would never you know pass up that opportunity and um it's been <laughs> a learning experience and um a real challenge being a full-time pro but I wouldn't trade it for anything these two years in Spain just the people the culture and um everything it's been awesome yeah I feel like throughout our conversation I've gotten the gist that you are very uh 
pretty social, make the best of things, positive attitude, take advantage of the opportunities you're given, um, which I would think are factors, are personality traits that help you cope with maybe the, the pros and cons, uh, above all the cons of, um, or the ups and downs, I guess I should say, maybe not so much the cons, but um, when mm. you do, when you do have those moments of, you know, downs overseas, what do you, how do you cope or what do you try to do to keep yourself positive, to keep yourself going? Cause you're, you're far away from home at the end of the day and you don't have close friends or parents right there to kind of go have a coffee with, or, you know, it's just, it's difficult. Yeah. It's not easy. You know, something I tell people that puts things in perspective, like I don't receive texts from friends at home until like 2 PM. Because everybody's asleep. And if I want to call a friend and FaceTime, it has to be after their work, which is like 5 or 6 p.m. Eastern time, which is like midnight Spanish time. So it's these are like the little things that you don't think about. Um, obviously, it's hard to be away from home, but just the different schedules and um, everything. And uh, I actually, you know, wrote, wrote a mental health story um, after college about my um, journey there. And I spoke earlier in the podcast about not playing for a while. And while I had a positive outlook on it, especially after the fact, now it was hard. And so I think I put myself through a lot in college, like mentally. And um, I that learning experience and challenge on the team there, I feel like prepared me um, for Spain, uh, not really letting a coach rattle me. And like I mentioned, going to college class and being happy. Like, of course, if I lose or I don't play well in a game, especially when it's a professional game and your stats and your reputation matter even more, um, I still find ways just to find happiness. And um, the, sometimes the coaches in the Spanish culture, you know, they buy beers for us after games, like especially <laughs> wins. And it's just, it's such a lighthearted atmosphere. Not that they're not serious. You know, Spanish basketball is extremely competitive and tough league, but the Spaniards just have a special, um, no pasa nada, tranquila, um, attitude where it, it hasn't been, I think as hard as it could be in a place like Germany or, um, Poland. I don't know. I've just always loved being around Spanish people. Sure. I, I would agree because I think back to my college days when we would lose a game, Sometimes it felt like the whole world was coming to an end or something. And on the bus, everybody was quiet. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in Spain, in Spain, I mean, I've played in the second division. I've played in the first division on uh, several different teams. And uh, usually, I don't want to say people just forget about the loss, but um, they're able to, you know, have a conversation on the bus ride home, laugh, and uh, get back to work the next day without feeling like, the world is over. <laughs> yeah. Which it's um, exactly. And I'm hard on myself, you know, so it's, I normally err on the side of being angry and not talking to anyone on the bus ride because it feels wrong. Like <laughs> not being, <laughs> talking and laughing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just think, you know, it's especially Barcelona, such a beautiful place. Like my attitude is just I'm going to be more unhappy if I'm sitting in my room looking at Instagram stories and my friends all together back home. Like people are, I think, look at my life. And, and when I put things in perspective, being paid to play this game that I love in a foreign country, one of the coolest cities in the world, like Barcelona, like if even if I'm 
you know, sitting in my room before practice, like just put things in perspective, like feel grateful. Like Dr. Phillips, my athletic director in college, just that was his biggest word and lesson. Like just be full of gratitude for everywhere you are. So I keep a gratitude journal at night and write three things that happened in the day or that I want to remember. And I feel like that has really helped me just create like this, recognize the journey in the long run instead of getting so caught up in any inconvenience in the day, whether it's something lost in translation or things like that. Sure. I like that. Uh, an attitude of gratitude, as they like to say. <laughs> uh, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Um, okay. So tell me a little bit about what you do in your free time, because I mean, obviously you're, you're doing a lot of things, but, um, you did tell me that you organize or you run a basketball camp back home. So while you're overseas, are you, do you have different things that you're working on or that you're, um, I don't know if you've ever thought about continuing your studies, but, um, tell me about what you like to do outside of basketball. Yeah, I like to stay busy. Um, my roommates sometimes make fun of me uh, <laughs> staring at a computer for five hours, but like, um, it's not hard for me to um, always be doing something. And um, last year, I always wanted to have my own camp in Connecticut, um, where I went to high school in Greenwich. Um, it wasn't really possible when the name and likeness rules were um, not changed. <laughs> so um, I couldn't really use Northwestern to promote myself. And if I did try to throw a camp in um, Connecticut, I was going to have issues with compliance. So as soon as I turned pro, I was like, this is great. I know how to build a Wix website from my marketing minor and like just journalism, copy writing things. Uh, I took positive entrepreneurship classes that were all about, you know, finding your passions and creating a business or something someone would want to buy so what's you know easier to do and more fun and to help give back to the next generation of female hoopers than um create a little business and camp so i called it wild works um because i want to build a team and i am building a team um more than just you know myself this is an abby wolf camp this is like a real business and um maybe eventually a nonprofit. um so wild works and my slogan is um work with us and your wild dreams can come true mm -hmm. i really want to you know empower someone to take their life and their dreams into their own hands so in addition to of course like stations and scrimmages and like fun drills like hot shot um i have a quote of the day every to start camp and we sit down for about 30 minutes um in the middle let's give give the girls a snack and i have a panel with the collegiate student athletes and I bring guests in um, to really inspire and inform. And you can tell I like stories and looking back at my struggles and like just trying to stick it to these kids that um, it's not easy, but if you really want something and you have a growth mindset, like you can make it work. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, not a, maybe there are no professional basketball players at my camp. I hope there are because I, this is a little side story. I was a camper at Vanessa Gideon's camp because she's also from Connecticut. Really? I played and, Vanessa. Yeah, of course. And um, I reconnected with her when a, a Greenwich parent heard that I was, you know, thinking about playing in Spain. She's like, you need to talk to Vanessa Gideon. I was like, oh my God, Vanessa Gideon, you know, I met her like 10 or 12 years ago at her camp. 
And um, I feel like seeing her do that in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I want to be that person in someone's life. Like, wow, she's an overseas pro. Like, I would love to do that one day. So she actually came and was one of the guests at my camp last year. And it was a super special moment, you know, because we were teammates in Samora. Yep. And um, just like looking back and the give and take and just like, you know, a whole circle of things. So I really believe that um, and want to be a mentor or inspiration to um, some little girl to, whether it's not basketball, it's just the life skills and incredible opportunities that sport um, and other things people are passionate about can provide. Yeah. I like your, uh, your motto. Is that what you called it? Or your, uh, slogan motto. Yeah. Yeah. Catchphrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, okay. it's been fun. Okay. So if somebody listening here is interested in going to Greenwich, Connecticut this summer, when is the camp? <laughs> like the rising Hooper clinic is uh june 20th 22nd and 24th it's only two hours monday wednesday friday and then the elite camp the one that's you know more competitive and i actually bringing two spaniards over and i matched them with host families so it's going to be pretty high level basketball is um june 27th to july 1st okay at greenwich country day school I have a business partner, Elisa Brown, who's going to do a lot of the on-court coaching. She's the head coaching director. And um, Jayla Fajon, who um, I played with in high school, is um, the director of player development. So she's doing like additional um, skill training outside of um, the the camp. And um, we're going to bring on more counselors and hopefully have two divisions in this UV camp. So about between 20 and 30 kids per division. And um, get it competitive and everything. Um, it's it's going to be great. Last year I had about 27 kids and only two other counselors. So it's growing and um, it's going to it's going to be a fun year. Yeah. So if people want more information, what should they Google? Uh, Wildworks basketball. You can just Google that. We should be the first thing. And then it's www.wildworksbasketball.com. Okay. And on Instagram, we're wildworks underscore b-ball, B-B-A-L-L. Um, and yeah, we, I haven't set up a <laughs> Twitter yet, so follow us on Instagram. Okay, good deal. Well, I think, uh, I think what you're doing is great. And I think back to my young days, and I really didn't have too many older players or examples of overseas professionals, you know, coming back and talking to us. Um, so I, I just feel like, wow, these little kids are lucky, you know, it's an opportunity. It's, um, it's really cool what you're doing. So bravo, Chica. I appreciate it. Yeah. I feel lucky to have the platform. Um, it's just been a huge learning experience and also confidence booster, um, going from, you know, just a normal college athlete and player to business owner and, head coach, entrepreneur, mentor. Um, it's been, it was a big transition for me last summer. Sure. That's a lot on your plate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, congratulations. Um, Thank you. so you've spent two years overseas. Um, would you say that playing overseas, seeing the world a little bit has contributed to your individual growth as a human being at all? Like how, how has, how have the last two years, do you think changed you in any way? 
Oh, that's um, it's a hard question. I think it goes back to the similar moment I had like in Cape Town where I got back to Northwestern and I just felt like a little out of place. Like I learned so much and seen so much. And it's the same thing coming back from Spain. I mean, you know, a roommate from Montenegro and around a bunch of Spaniards and picking up different phrases and ways of life, you know, the siesta, the different tapas food. And, and I'm, I love New York and it's going to be fun going back there, but it's, it's, it's um, hard to just go back to my same circle of, you know, maybe college friends and people who had a very similar upbringings and backgrounds as me um, after just being exposed to so much life and um, diversity and thought um, backgrounds. And like, that's what I cherish the most about this experience, like the relationships I've built and hope to, you know, keep them going. And I guess that's my motivating factor of this, bringing the Spanish girls to the Wildworks camp, just because I feel like I've learned so much from my friends overseas. And um, even if somebody doesn't play professional basketball, if I can match two 15 year olds and they can become pen pals and visit each other, like that's just the best thing in my opinion. Yeah, that's that. I think that's how I've grown as a human being, just expanding my worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool that you've got two Spanish, young Spanish girls coming on over to Connecticut this summer. I bet they're just pumped. <laughs> yeah. Um, Laya Crispin, who is, um, I think, around 14-year-old point guard, um, already has interest, you know, from two Power 5 schools in the U.S. Okay. Um, she plays for a Barca youth team. She just won, I think, the um, Spanish championship somewhere. Um, so congratulations to her. And then Carmen Morales, who plays in Granada. Okay. Um, and she's a little older, 16 and already her sister is at Wake Forest. So she knows what the college basketball experience is like, wants that for herself and, um, super excited for these girls. And now obviously they're hosts, yeah. um, to meet, to start practicing some Spanish, exchange stories. And, um, I want to bring a team of Connecticut kids to Spain next March as well. Like kind of like the college trips for 10 days probably play a team in Madrid, play a team in Barcelona, maybe go to the South. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it'd be you know, expensive, but I think like having the Spanish girls, okay, now we need to bring some Connecticut kids to Spain. Yeah. And um, I think I can make it happen. So I'll keep you updated if that trip is a go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if we can visit, play a youth movie star Estudiantes team. <laughs> there you go. Um <laughs> All right, so getting to the end here, rapid fire. What jersey number do you wear and why? Oh, uh, 21. Um, I wore 11 as a kid, and that was taken one year, and so I just added 10. I really don't have a, a good reason. Um, <laughs> okay, but that's a story in itself. Yeah, but since high school, I've had 21 on every team. <clears throat> All right. Um, so you you play the post. What would you say is your go-to move on the court? What's your bread and butter? My hook shot, um, it's, it's unstoppable, and I keep my shoulders squared to the sideline. Okay, right. And... Right-hand or left-handed shot? I I can do both, but obviously go to my right more. Um, okay, just take that power dribble or couple dribbles into the lane and then let it fly. Yeah, little shimmy, little shoulder shake if they bite, you know, and then go up. 
All right. Uh, is there any type of food product that you've brought with you the last two years that you thought maybe you wouldn't be able to find in Spain and you're like, oh, I need to bring this snack or this spice over with me? Uh, Reese's. Ah. Reese's peanut butter cups. Um, my Spanish family last year loved them. So I had my mom or I brought, eventually I found them, but I went out of my way. I think I went to Taste of America and bought them. Those are things I miss. When I go back to the States, I think my first meal will be Chipotle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I love all food. So I'm luckily not too picky and um, don't miss American products too much. Right. But they're not really big on peanut butter over here. So peanut butter cups, is something that they're not necessarily used to, but they're so good. The sweet and the salty together. I love that. Yeah. Um, so what was your favorite uh, television show as a little kid? A little, little kid, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the uh, Pooh? Nice. <laughs> but you're, I think you're asking as like a teenager. I don't know. I liked Street Life as Zach and Cody a lot. Um, in high, middle school, high school, Gossip Girl is one of my favorites. Hi, Met Your Mother. A little bit of everything. Parks okay. and Recreation. I don't know if I can pick a favorite favorite. Okay. But when you were little, little Winnie the Pooh. Um, and yeah. what, about, what about like a favorite board game when you were a little girl? Oh, Risk. Risk. We used to have showdowns. I have three older brothers and we would just play Risk for hours. Yeah. World domination. It's, it's a fun <laughs> game. All right. And um lastly well no not lastly I have a couple more tell me what's tell me three things that are usually on your nightstand next to your bed uh a gratitude journal like I told one I told you about um a book and unfortunately my phone set my alarm (laughs) okay um and being that you've spent quite a few years in Connecticut uh lobster or oysters Lobster. Lobster. Um, for sure. Yeah. I used to go up to Maine as well. And I've actually been the clawing lobsters. So I went on a boat with somebody catching them and I clawed every lobster when I came in. So they couldn't bite each other in the bucket. Clawed a lobster. What do you mean? Like you, you put something around their claws? Yeah. Yeah. So like I put rubber bands around their claws after the, the fishing woman caught them. Cool. yeah so lobster was a special place in my heart after that trip is um is clam chowder a big thing out in connecticut or is that more boston more boston but when if you go up to you know northern connecticut you can get it i Uh barely am a connecticut girl like right on the border i live like two minutes from the new york border okay so yeah. Well, and I, I feel really silly because I think when I introduced you in the beginning, I was like from Greenwich, Connecticut. And then I hear you say it in <laughs> Greenwich, not Greenwich. <laughs> That's right, don't worry. It's, it's, it looks like Greenwich. It looks like Greenwich. I don't know why they have put a W in it. Okay. And then yeah. <laughs> true or false, the lollipop was invented in Connecticut. Uh-huh. I'm going to guess true. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just was looking up silly stuff about Connecticut. Cause I thought that you were like, you know, really from there, but um, yeah, I guess the lollipop was invented in Connecticut. So there you go. Uh, wow. Learn something new every day, but Abby, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being flexible. And, you know, I know you're kind of on vacation right now and you're, 
you're carving out a little spot in your day for me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything you're doing. Um, getting us overseas players out in media and um, great questions and conversations. So I hope to meet you in person soon again. Um, I know. It's, it's been a while. We matched up last year on the court, but. Yep. It's, it's pretty cool not to really know each other, but to be able to have a, a good conversation. All right. Well, take care. Enjoy. And, uh, you know, if I see you in Spain next year, hopefully we'll get a chance to say hi. Absolutely. I might be passing through Madrid in a couple of weeks. So um, maybe I'll shoot you a text if you're okay. still there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Talk to you All later, right. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Leslie. And that wraps it up for this week's episode. Abby is just starting out on her professional basketball career, but there's no doubt in my mind she's got quite a few years left of playing, exploring, and relationship building. I enjoyed talking with Abby and listening to the way she approaches life. She wants to be the best she can be, on the court, in the weight room, or organizing a basketball camp. She enjoys a challenge and sees them as opportunities for growth. I think we could all use a little wolf pack mentality in our own lives, or at least I know I could. And what did you think about the word Ubuntu? I am because we are. It's not the first time I've heard the word, actually. I have a friend who has Ubuntu tattooed on her arm. Another great way to approach life or being part of a team, family, whatever the group may be. A little like the fist mentality. We're stronger together. All right, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And before you go, do me a quick favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. It'll take just a minute and believe it or not, but your support can actually help get the word out to future listeners. And if anyone has a question they'd like me to ask future guests, please feel free to connect with me via Twitter or Instagram. Just search Leslie Faye Knight, and I would love to hear your thoughts and would be happy to ask your questions. Alrighty, signing off for this week. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego! Thank you.